Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Hub24 Limited 2020 Four-Year Results Conference Call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question-and-answer session. If you wish to ask a, ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Andrew Alcock, Managing Director. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the FY20 results presentation for Hub24. Thank you very much for your attendance and interest in our company. Uh, I'm Andrew Alcock, the Managing Director, and today with me I have uh, Debbie Last, our interim CFO, who will uh, also be presenting with me. Uh, so as we said, we will do our presentation uh, and then leave sufficient time for questions and answers. Uh, just moving to the next slide. Uh, and I do trust it's our uh, standard statement here about our purpose, but I do trust that as you see as we present today uh, how we across our four brands do connect our customers to innovative solutions. And that's what Hub24 is about. It's about continuing to innovate to create value and transform the landscape we're in and, of course, uh, create value for customers and shareholders. I'm going to move on to the financial highlight slide and uh, give some high points from that uh, next. Uh, Financial year 20 has been a successful year of growth for us. We have uh, seen impact across the economy and had economic factors that impact businesses in general and, of course, COVID-19. But in that context, Hub24 has continued to grow and performed very well. As you can see, our platform revenue is up 37% year-on-year at $74.3 million. And our platform underlying EBITDA and our group underlying EBITDA are both up around 60%, uh, platform being 28.7 million and our group at 24.7. Um, underlying platform EBITDA margin is also up from 33.3% uh, for FY19 to 38.6%. So seeing expanding uh, profitability margins in the business as we grow um, uh, moving forward. Our underlying NPAT is $10.1 million, up 49% on last year, and Debbie Last will talk us through a reconciliation from our EBITDA to the NPAT figure and the statutory NPAT figure uh, when we get to her part of the presentation. We finished the year with $17.2 billion of FUA, which were funds on administration, which is up 34% on FY19. Uh, currently, as we sit on Friday afternoon, we are at $18.5 billion of FUA. That's an unaudited number, of course, but uh, that's representing some market movement uh, and a great start to FY21. Um, good result in terms of the FUA number. As you may see later on in the pack, we were impacted by approximately $1.1 billion of negative FUA movement in the second half of FY20. Uh, which, uh, if you added that back, would, would have us at 18.3, 18.4. Um, so, uh, a great year in terms of financial highlights. We're delighted to be able to present that to you in a marketplace that's challenged uh, very much. So, we think uh, the business is doing extremely well and we're very positive about our future. Turning on to the next slide, uh, today we'll cover a few themes uh, about our continued strong business growth, the opportunities we're seeing, uh, touch on our strategy and how we're delivering that, and also, of course, talk about our managed portfolio leadership and innovation in that space. The business has uh, demonstrated resilience through COVID uh, with growth and our market-leading solutions actually proving themselves to advisors and customers that they really can make a difference in troubled times or volatile times. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through as well. Um, 
and uh, we also talk about how we're positioning Hub 24 for the future. You'll notice that we've updated our FUA guidance. Uh, we've now got a guidance statement for FY22, which is we're targeting FUA of 28 to $32 billion for the end of FY22, obviously on the basis of stable markets, our ongoing business terms, uh, and uh, no further unexpected or significant unexpected impacts of COVID that may affect things. However, we're very, very positive. We've seen the business um, uh, re respond uh, and continue to grow through the COVID situation to date, and that guidance statement is effectively adding $6 billion to our guidance range and rolling out one year from the statement we previously had, which was uh, 22 to $26 billion for FY21. Uh, moving ahead uh, a couple of slides, I'm turning to the business highlights slide um, with the graphics on it. Um, in terms of reviewing our scorecard for the year, uh, and we'll drill down on some of these as well as we go through the presentation, but we've absolutely maintained our focus on our customers and our people during COVID-19, and I've got a slide to talk about that next. Uh, we've continued to be awarded and recognised in the industry. We'll break that down a little later as well. Uh, the business has a very strong pipeline across multiple parts of the marketplace, across some emerging advice markets uh, in Australia, as well as um, boutiques and institutions and so forth. So we've got a continued strong pipeline. We are seeing activity. Things haven't uh, uh, fallen off the edge of a cliff through COVID. There are interesting conversations going on across the board for Hub24. Uh, we've maintained our second place for the year in terms of quarterly and annual net flows. Uh, and we've uh, obviously maintained our market leader um, position in managed portfolios, which I'll also talk about in a few minutes. The year was a record in terms of annual net inflows of $4.95 billion. Uh, we've progressed further with our technology initiatives in launching um, Hub Connect uh, and launching some advice documentation compliance tools we've got in Pilot, which we aim to help advisors and licensees um, manage their compliance burdens as well as build advocacy for the Hub24 platform. In Paragen, we had 13 new advice practices as well. So that's a snapshot of our scorecard for the year. I'm now turning to our uh, specific slide on the impact of COVID-19. Um, and Hub24 has continued to grow while adapting to COVID-19. It's certainly been a bumpy road for us all in many ways, but I'm pleased to say that uh, our business is performing exceptionally well and continues to grow in that context. Even yesterday, we saw the uh, opposition spokesperson for financial services commenting on the growing advice gap in Australia. The demand for advice is increasing, <coughs> which uh, is um, uh, a good point in terms of Hub24 being a platform that uh, clients use with advice. Uh, more and more, there is demand for our type of solutions and demand for advice in the marketplace, regardless of the conditions we're finding ourselves in. On the right-hand side of the slide, just drilling down... Briefly, um, in terms of our customers and our team, we seamlessly transitioned uh, to remote working environment without interruption to clients at all. We maintained service levels, and in some cases we absolutely exceeded them in the context of materially increased trading volumes and customer inquiries. There were days where we had multiples of trades, uh, 10 times our normal trading volumes during the height of rebalancing uh, during March when COVID hit and uh, our business performed exceptionally well without interruption, meeting those service levels and helping our customers manage their portfolios. Absolutely during the time we also demonstrated the value of our uh, solution, 
with advisors and clients being able to efficiently rebalance if they were using Hub24 managed portfolios. Very different to uh, if you were using managed funds or weren't taking advantage of that portfolio capability. We could rebalance clients very effectively. We could also take advantage of some tax optimization uh, technology we have uh, to maximise or minimise uh, outcomes, uh, tax outcomes for clients and get them the best opportunity uh, moving forward. Our distribution team has been actively supporting advisors uh, and helping them leverage uh, our technology to help their customers as well as work remotely. We've been very much focused on our customers and in fact uh, uh, the investment we had in expanding our distribution team over the first half and we, we finished recruiting that team in December, um, that investment's actually helped us uh, provide support to advisors and continue to grow the business and prospect. We actually delivered some service enhancements for advisors as well uh, around pension drawdown rules to make it easier for advisors and customers to implement those rules to suit their circumstances rather than some others in the industry who just did a one-size-fits-all approach and caused uh, issues for clients and, and advisors. At Hub24, we're about giving people choice and flexibility, and we certainly did that by rapidly implementing uh, technology changes. And of course, we had the timely payment of early super release requests. A lot of people ask us about how impactful that was on Hub24. It's less than 0.1% of, of our funds under administration minimal impact. But moving to the left-hand side of the slide, um, in terms of the impact of the business during COVID, look, we still had record net inflows for June quarter. There was a slow start in April as advisors uh, bunkered down and had to start working remotely and supporting their customers, but we saw an improvement in May and June, ending the year with record annual inflows of $4.95 billion despite the impact of the pandemic. Of course, there was volatility and significant market movement during the second half, uh, the impact of $1.1 billion negative uh, FUA movement in that half, um, but also in that context still finishing the year up uh, very high with our FUA at $17.2 billion. Uh, the growth in number of the advisors continued uh, in quarter four, in the June quarter, so even though the market was distracted, we still managed to have 110 new advisors during the June quarter and still signed 34 new licensee agreements. So business development has continued in the context of COVID. And as I said earlier, our pipeline is strong and the drivers for selecting Hub24 and specialist platforms are continuing in the marketplace. That hasn't changed. The shifting advice uh, proposition in the market, the shifting need for best solutions hasn't changed and we're seeing that drive flows continually to the platform. We were, of course, impacted by lower interest rates that have, offset, that have impacted our revenue in terms of uh, cash account uh, fee income. Uh, that's partially been offset by higher trading volumes uh, as people balance their portfolios and also higher cash balances in the business. I'm pleased to say that our success and our financial results are not reliant on any government or third-party concessions and we've not entered into any deferred uh, payment arrangements. The business is standing well and operating well on its own. And profitability continued to increase in the second half with our underlying EBITDA for the second half up 11% on the first half in the context of the pandemic. So uh, overall, in summary, uh, though the impact of the pandemic is uncertain, we're continuing to grow. Our business is robust. Uh, we've demonstrated our product capabilities and how they can help in situations like this with clients, and there's some interesting uh, case studies and, and facts we can share with you uh, later on about that. And uh, we've shown operating, operating performed very well during the pandemic, so we've had some advisor advocacy grow in this period as well. 
Moving on to the next slide, we're continuing to be recognised you know, by the industry for functionality and customer service. Um, I'll talk more about our managed accounts awards in a few slides time, but for the fourth year running, we've won the first place award for the Investment Trends Managed Accounts Report. Um, in the platform comparative analysis and benchmarking report, also from Investment Trends, uh, we received first place for our product offer and integration and equal first place for service. Uh, in the Planet Tech Advisor Sentiment Report, we've got second place overall for satisfaction and advocacy. In fact, we were ranked number two in 17, uh, ranked in the top two in 17 out of 25 categories in that report. Uh, so Hub24 is continuing to be well received by the marketplace, by independent researchers and by surveys of advisor sentiment as well. On to the managed portfolio slide. Uh, we absolutely are continuing to lead the market in managed portfolios and we're continuing to innovate and invest in this space. Uh, in, on the left-hand column, uh, just drilling down on that, uh, some of the specific awards, first for functionality, first for our managed accounts reach, first for primary relationships, and the highest advisor satisfaction for managed accounts functionality uh, in those particular surveys and reviews. Uh, during COVID-19, we've seen how managed portfolios uh, can absolutely come into their own and really showcase how they add value or can minimise costs and fees for clients when they do need to um, uh, transact. So we're very proud to say that, that uh, in this environment, we've actually helped advisors and clients rebalance their portfolios very efficiently, and that's one of the core propositions of, of managed accounts, uh, delivering real tax optimisation benefits there are examples where if you're using Hub24's tax capability in terms of picking tax parcels when rebalancing compared to other propositions in the marketplace who don't provide that flexibility, thousands of dollars of, of benefit to clients uh, with that functionality alone been proven time and time again during this period. Also transaction cost savings where uh, if people are rebalancing their uh, portfolios, they're only buying or selling uh, the underlying stocks that they're rebalancing as opposed to buying or selling an entire managed fund with a buy-sell spread. Um, and so we've seen that as well in this marketplace and receiving accolades from advisors about how this functionality has really come into its own and proven that it actually creates value for clients. So we'll shortly be in the market with a campaign quantitatively highlighting some of these benefits. We've done some research with Milliman on the benefits of Hub24 managed portfolios and we'll be taking that research to market uh, in the next few weeks. Um, we do provide the leading reading solution in the market with extensive choice. We added 108 portfolios in the year uh, and we're continuing to invest. And we're currently in the process of streamlining our managed portfolio structure. We are moving uh, our existing uh, portfolios into an MIS scheme. We do have 100 MIS scheme portfolios already. We're streamlining that to be the foundation for future innovation and we're talking through that with the market right now. On to the next slide in terms of market share. Um, on the right-hand side, uh, you can see that on a quarterly and an annual basis, uh, and the latest data is, is available as at end of March 20, uh, we've maintained our second place in the market in terms of annual net flows and second place in terms of quarterly net flows, which I think is a phenomenal result considering we started the year with 1.3% market share, yet we are the second highest rank in terms of flows. On the left-hand side, just a ratio chart there, you can see Hub24 punching above its weight. Effectively, this is our share of uh, new net flows compared to underlying market share. And you can see the trend there on the left-hand side of the chart that specialist platforms generally 
on the left-hand side are performing uh, well above expectation with increasing market share with institutional platforms continuing to decrease in market share. Our market share in the period has grown, uh, the period to March uh, 31, 2020 has grown from 1.3% to 1.9%. I'll now hand over to Debbie Lars to present our financial results. Thank you, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. I hope you're staying safe in these COVID times. Um, on slide 13, we present the group financial results. The group financial results for the year 30th of June 2020 show an increase in group revenue of 14% to $110 million, up from 96.3 in comparison to the prior year. The majority of this increase has come from our largest segment, the platform business, which is up 37%, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail below. Revenue from our licensee, Paragen, was 29.6, down 16% on last year due to a number of practices moving to a self-licensing model. This is offset by direct costs. However, during the course of this year, 13 new practices joined Paragen, reflecting the continuing migration of advisors away from institutional licensees. The IT services segment revenue was 6.4 million, down 9% from the prior year. This is reflective of IT services spending more time on internal development activities, including Hub Connect. After completing a strategic review of the IT services business, Hub24 has decided to no longer provide technology hosting services to new clients. However, it will continue to service existing clients. We will look to closer align the agility services um, with the platform business and the broader financial services market. After direct costs, gross profit has increased 32% to $61 million, up from $46 million in the prior year. This has increased our gross profit margin from 48% to 55%. The group continues to invest in the business to support growth, and this has resulted in group operating costs increasing by 18% to 36.2 million, and I'll talk about this on the next slide. The result of this is a group, group underlying EBITDA of 24.7 million, up 60% on the prior year, which has been largely driven, as I said before, about from the segment, the platform segment. Underlying NPAT was 10.1 million, up 49% on FY19. Continuing profitability has meant that for the first time, Hub24 is able to issue a fully franked dividend. This has resulted in a full year dividend of $0.07 cents per share, up 52% on prior years. This is in line with our board's previously disclosed target payout ratio of between 40 and 60% of annual underlying NPAT. It is expected that now the company is profitable and all tax losses have been fully recouped, but in line with our planning to the next slide, group operating costs. 
The breakdown of the growth in group operating costs half on half show that we have invested in people to support our growth initiatives. We saw an increase in headcount of 18% or 41 individuals, up to 263 staff as at the 30th of June 2020. This reflects an investment in our sales and distribution team, underpinning growth in net, in net flows, but also an investment in the Innovation Lab, which is focusing on data management and integrated solutions, and our IT development team. Growth half-on-half half reflects the timing of when staff were recruited. And whilst we will continue to invest for growth, cost growth will be constrained in FY21 given the COVID environment. The decrease in premises cost reflects the adoption of AASB 16, the new accounting standard, with premises leases now being capitalised and amortised. Now turning to slide 15, you will see the platform results on a standalone basis. As Andrew has mentioned before, funds under administration grew from 12.9 billion in the prior year to 17.2 billion at the 30th of June 2020, with record annual net inflows of 4.95 billion, despite the challenging and disruptive markets. At the close of last week on the 21st of August, funds under administration stood at 18.5 billion. This growth in sewer and in flows has been driven by transition opportunities as well as organic flows. The new business is being generated from national key accounts, mid-tier licensees, self-licensees, and brokers. Platform segment revenue has increased 37% to 74.3 billion. And we'll talk about the drivers of that revenue on the next slide. This has led to gross profit for the platform segment at 55.7 million, up 38%. You will again see the investment in growth in our people impacting operating expenses. The results of this is an underlying EBITDA for the platform segment of 28.7 million up 59% on the prior year, with an underlying EBITDA margin increase of 6% on the last year to 39% at June 2020. Now turning to slide 16, platform revenue, you'll see a waterfall of the platform fee income as a percentage of our Platform revenue margin was compressed, has compressed from 50.4% in the second half of FY19 to 47.8% in the second half of FY20. Even though equity markets were negatively impacted by COVID, the flow on the platform is not fully correlated to the movements in equity markets. This is due to a number of factors, including the asset mix 
of the sewer and also our tiered rate card. Sewer impacts admin fees, um, which has seen admin fees fall by 1.6 bits in the second half. However, market volatility has also seen a significant increase in asset trading volumes, driving increased transaction fees and higher client cash balances on the platform, which has resulted in higher than expected cash account income. Cash balances remain at these high levels. Turning to slide 17, you will see the platform growth delivering economies of scale. We show here that consistently there's been strong growth trends, not only in platform revenue, but in gross profit and underlying EBITDA. And this trend has remained unbroken since 2013. Turning to slide 18, you will see the key movements between our underlying NPAT, which forms the basis of our dividend payout ratio, and underlying EBITDA. Share-based payments of 4.4 million in FY20 have increased by 2.3 million compared to the prior year. This is largely due to the initial recognition of a special LTI granted in December 2018 in recognition of capping executive salaries. The performance hurdle of this scheme is 33% fewer on a CAGR basis over four years and it vests in June 22. Given the growth in the business and our confidence in the future FUA growth, we have taken the view that this performance hurdle is more likely than not to be achieved and have for the first time started to recognise an expense in the profit and loss account. Amortisation and depreciation of 5.3 million has increased year on year by 2.7 million. This growth reflects the continued development of our platform as we've invested 6.4 million in IT development, which has been capitalised. 1.7 million relates to lease depreciation in accordance with the adoption of AAFB 16. The abnormal items which Andrew's touched upon includes 900K of deferred consideration in respect of our purchase of the agility business in 2017. This is offset by an impairment of the agility business following the strategic decision to no longer provide technology hosting solutions to new clients. As we look to align this business closer to our platform business and the broader financial services market. The restructuring costs of 1.8 million are in respect of two key strategic initiatives. The first being the change of trustee from diversa to EQT, which has been executed effective thesis. Uh, turning to strategy and outlook, I'm going on to uh, slide 20. Um, 
And uh, the market dynamics are absolutely creating opportunity for Hub24, uh, and we're absolutely committed to taking those opportunities. Things haven't sat still, um, and they continue to change. We've seen that um, uh, with what's happening in the marketplace, with uh, even more uncertainty in bank-based businesses, uh, with the announced sale of uh, Colonial, with the strategic review of uh, the wealth businesses at Westpac, and the potential sale of Panorama and the wealth business there, and with MLC also deciding with the announcement that uh, uh, Colonial had sold that they would try and do a trade sale for uh, MLC, with NAB announcing that as well. Um, lots happening in that space. There's continuing platform switching. I'm in column two here, um, uh, and it's surging. Uh, and you've got to be maintaining market leadership and functionality to win in that space, as Hub24 is. So we're seeing the continued switching and a continuing evolution of platforms. Specialist platforms are consolidating their position. We're continuing to increase market share. And there is increasing demand for non-custodial reporting services, managed account solutions, uh, and the type of uh, features that Hub24 is uh, spending time on in terms of the, the personalization of managed portfolios, so that client value can be created by allowing tailoring within a portfolio, and that we can also allow fund managers use technology to uh, tailor outcomes to different cohorts of clients, something that wasn't possible with managed funds, it hasn't been possible with managed portfolios in the past, Hub24 leads the market with creating that execution alpha, if you like, in that space. Back to column one, the demand for advice is increasing. I mentioned earlier that uh, it's hit the political landscape. Uh, we've realised as a nation we've created a gap with some of the regulatory change and we need to close the gap. Uh, to help do that, uh, we're looking at how we can help uh, with uh, advisors service customers with low balances uh, and so there's an advice gap there in terms of how do you provide good advice to clients with good investment outcomes and good asset administration that trend is growing uh, there's an increased uh, demand for tools to help clients take greater control and have an integrated view of their wealth as well and there's an increasing demand for solutions that provide value and support client best interest duty uh, which uh, I think a lot of our proposition naturally leads to. Uh, column three, we're seeing a shift in how the advice market works. There is certainly a trend increasing in self-licensing. In fact, in quarter two, there were many advisors still leaving um, uh, or, or changing where their, their licensing is. I think it was up to 700 advisors shifted in the third quarter, even in the context of, of COVID-19, uh, with, with the bulk of them moving to self-licensed or privately owned licensees. That's continuing, that is the sweet spot for Hub24 in that that's uh, where most of our, our uh, advocacy has come in the past. However, uh, we're also seeing the rise of uh, new advice collectives and new private advisory segment where you've got uh, businesses with 10 to 50 advisors starting to arise, share a licence, they're large enough to offer a differentiated advice offering, but it seems to be a growing segment. We're very well positioned there having established relationships with some of those groups to date. Uh, and that, that grouping in the market is forecast to grow uh, in terms of the advisor servicing of $100 million of funds under administration or advice per advisor to $200 million uh, by 2025. So it's a new growing segment. We've got our fingers on the pulse and we're certainly active in that space at the moment. Um, licensee structures and services are continuing to change, hence our investment that I'll talk about in a few minutes in technology and data to help licensees and advisors meet their compliance obligations. Uh, those licensees can no longer rely on product margin subsidies, grandfathering's ending that. 
they have challenges in getting quality data and they really need to be able to retain flexibility for advisors whilst investing in processes uh, that can help them meet their obligations. So there's a shift happening there and Hub24 is certainly uh, providing solutions to help with that. So turning the page to how we're positioned to leverage these opportunities, in terms of the growing advice gap, we are working with Aberdeen Standard Investments to build an integrated platform. We call it Hub Access, which is a simple, low-cost platform solution uh, with investment managed portfolios uh, to work with a bionic advice or, or robo-advice solution integrated to help advisors service that growing gap where clients may have smaller balances and they need uh, better and more efficient ways to service those clients. We're leading the charge with that and we'll shortly be implementing that uh, in pilot mode with a couple of advice practices. Uh, the continued evolution of retail platforms, of course Hub24 is continuing to invest in product innovation. We're continuing to lead change and challenge the status quo. Uh, we're developing our whole of wealth reporting solution being Hub Connect and we're integrating it with more data solutions. It's working for us as a business strategically. It's allowing us to grow food on the platform. We're progressively signing up uh, new customers to Hub Connect and we're certainly looking at extending the functionality moving forward. Uh, and in, in order to support uh, the shift to platforms like ourselves, we have a capability to help us do bulk migrations, which is helping us uh, grow the business and will certainly help us with the Clearview opportunity, which we've talked about previously. The demand for managed account solutions is growing and I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to grow given the experience of advisors and customers during COVID and the utility that managed account solutions have provided in that, uh, in that um, market of disruption. Uh, we are leveraging our market leading position and we are continuing to build market share. We're delivering enhanced portfolio reporting, enhanced research tools and comparison tools. Uh, we're going to market with that uh, white paper that we've worked on with Milliman, which talks about the quantitative benefits of a Hub24 managed portfolio, really helping advisors and clients understand the benefits they can get from our platform and demonstrating that uh, 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 not all platforms are equal, not all managed accounts are equal, and certainly Hub24 is actually adding value to client outcomes uh, with good investment advice and, and the use of the platform appropriately. And we're also going to be providing education and implementation expertise. We have a new head of uh, managed portfolios uh, on our team that's working actively with licensees in the market to educate advisors about the uptake of that solution. Technology innovation and greater connectivity, we have our innovation lab, as Debbie has talked about, uh, which is looking at how we leverage emerging technologies. They're using some uh, artificial intelligence capability right now, already working with some licensees in pilot mode to see how we can help do that uh, or help licensees with compliance burdens in looking at statements of advice. That builds advocacy for our platform. It also helps our key clients' licensees and also we hope to uh, generate new um, revenue streams for our technology services business in that regard as well. Um, and there's ongoing investment in us building new data sources for new product providers through our agility product set and also through Hub Connect as well. In terms of advice transformation, I've mentioned we're partnering with licensees to help them with compliance activities and we've been continuing to grow Paragem, uh, including uh, building an advisor community and rolling out some practice consulting services. Turning to the next slide, just a couple of points here because we've mentioned some of these earlier, but in terms of building foundations for growth, and Debbie mentioned that we have changed trustee for Hub24 Super. Uh, that happened on the 31st of July and we're very excited about working with EQT moving ahead. Uh, as they support our business growth and our strategic objectives moving forward. 
Uh, we also, as we've mentioned, streamlining our managed portfolio capability. We're building foundations to allow us to innovate and add more features to customers through that that are better served through an MIS scheme moving ahead. And we've certainly done a review in our agility or IT service, sorry, IT services business. Uh, we've got new executive leadership over that business, more aligned with the Paragen business, and we're sharpening our focus there on how we can add value to financial advisors beyond the traditional stockbroking clients, how we can build new services uh, like the compliance service I was talking about as well. So uh, looking forward to seeing that business grow uh, more and more in the future. Turning to our Outlook slide. Uh, we're absolutely committed to continuing to create customer value and shareholder value moving forward. We are positioning Hub24 for ongoing success by supporting advising the customers, showcasing our capabilities and demonstrating the value that our solution adds in the marketplace to a next level of detail rather than just talking about you need a managed account. Let's show you why and let's show you how that benefits your clients. And of course, we will continue to innovate to support ongoing growth. We are pursuing growth. We're leveraging existing relationships and also leveraging our current strong pipeline to do that. And we are seeking new opportunities actively across the current licensee and advisor segments as well as the emerging segments I touched on earlier. We're extending the IT services model to the financial advice market and we're also looking at providing services to emerging technology and data providers. As you may know, we have a very robust data access and integration level that we use to support other technology providers in the marketplace. We're looking to extend that to other clients moving forward as well. Uh, and of course, we'll be evaluating uh, securing opportunities in the market, evaluating appropriate opportunities in the market and securing them for our future in terms of adding to our service mix or to our business model. So we're actively in the market uh, looking at those opportunities at the moment and we'll continue to do so. Uh, we expect the business to have continuing strong financial results. Uh, we expect to leverage our FUA growth as we have with scalability and increased profitability. And as I said earlier, we're targeting FUA now of 28 to 32 billion for FY22, uh, subject to market conditions, our terms of business and unexpected impacts from COVID. Uh, and as I failed to mention on the first slide and Debbie touched on, we have uh, determined a dividend of 3.5 cents per share, which is fully franked um, uh, as part of our final dividend for FY20. As always, we look to balance uh, cost increases in the business with revenue increases to build profitability. Uh, and so we expect to uh, be careful with cost growth uh, this period, but without constraining growth of revenue and, and constraining growth of opportunities there. Um, so we had an investment in the, in the first half of FY20, which has come through in the runner eight for FY20, as Debbie said. Um, and we made that investment deliberately because we see that the prospects of the business growing forward. Um, obviously, that, that has been impacted by COVID with lower FUA uh, and cash rates. However, we're comfortable that this year we're well set moving forward to grow the business and we'll be uh, applying appropriate um, restraint to cost growth, subject to accelerating investment for new opportunities if and when they arise. And we're very confident that we have new opportunities coming as well. So from that perspective, thank you very much for your attention uh, today and for dialing in. I'll hand over to our moderator to take questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star then two. If you are a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your questions. 
and we'll pause momentarily to assemble our roster. And our first question will come from Nicholas McGargill with Ord Minute. Please go ahead. You, Debbie touched on the cash balances remaining at high levels. Um, can you give us a rough sense on what that percentage is and if we've, you've seen it um, in terms of absolute dollar terms tick down since the, uh, the height of you know, the, the fear around the pandemic when people were selling stocks? Uh, Nick, sorry, uh, Debbie and I are in different locations because of COVID, but uh, we can't see who's going to respond. But uh, Nick, certainly it's gone up in absolute dollar levels um, and the percentage is higher than average. We, we typically don't comment on the percentage, but uh, it's normally between the range of 8 and 13%. It, it's well above the midpoint of that, but it does is hovering around depending on new business flows. Um, uh, we've not seen uh, people uh, taking cash off the platform to find alternative cash investments. Um, we've seen uh, people leaving cash in the platform to take advantage of when they rebalance and repurchase investments um, if they are looking at market opportunities and, and thinking about that. So hopefully that answers the question for you. It, it, it is certainly higher than midpoint and it's been quite resilient for a few months now. Yep, no, that's fine. Um, in terms of the FUA target for FY22, um, can you just talk to us about how that gets built up in terms of you know, uh, being, what you're including? Is it accounts that you've won that you'll continue to get more share of wallet? Does it inc obviously it would include the Clearview transition and certain flows there? Um, so maybe just an update on what kind of client flows you're including in that number and what your market return assumption is in that range as well. Uh, look, uh, I can tell you indicatively the way that we think about budgeting for the business is we think about market returns uh, of around about 5% per annum uh, and we do think about when we uh, look at our growth prospects, we do an, a couple of different methods of analysis. We actually do a top-down based on market share uh, ratios and our growth historically in terms of net flows. We actually consider uh, outflows across the base of business. So we actually think about the, the gross flows coming in, uh, what level of outflows we'll have as a percentage of base of our business because as the business grows, you're paying pensions and so forth. Uh, and we're thinking about um, that from a, a macro level. But we also do a bottom-up build based on our pipeline and based on client and client opportunities uh, to come up with that methodology. So certainly we're looking at flows from existing clients. We're looking at flows from recently contracted clients. Uh, in that number, we're considering uh, the Clearview transition as well. But I, I do have to say that, you know, it's a guidance statement. Um, we'd love to outperform that. Generally, we have in the past delivered uh, ahead of how we thought the business is going. Uh, and, in fact, we've, we've uh, rolled the statement forward a year and said let's add $6 billion to it. So in there, if you think about uh, market movement and so forth, we're thinking about flows of, of um, uh, five um, five and a half billion dollars um, to six billion dollars, sorry, a fewer movement um, up in that range uh, from 20, the completion of 21 to the completion of 22. Um, uh, there's a broad range there, Nick, of four billion dollars. We'd like to exceed that, but um, it's not hard to see. If you have those sort of run rates, five to six billion dollars, and you add the market movement, it, it gets you to those levels. Sure. And when you say 5% market movement, do you then take your normal beta on that and then, you know, it comes down to like 3 or 3.5% three or use it 5% in that, in your numbers? In no, no, we, we would actually then do our correlation uh, uh, correctly through that in terms of looking yep. at um, how correlated we are to those markets, yep. Understood. Um, and I think 
in terms of um, the prior year's rental expense, just so I'm not sure if that was detailed in the um, in maybe a question for Debbie, just what that was. You mentioned that it was 1.8 million of opex that has come out in FY20 due to the new accounting standards. What the number would have been in FY19, which is still included in the accounts that you've published, um, if we were going to so we can compare like for like in terms of those underlying EBITDA. Um, Nick, I don't have that to hand, but I'm happy to provide that data for you. Yep, that'd be great. Um, and then maybe one last one. Um, just what do you think the longer-term strategic outlook for the licensee segment is, given um, some of the ins and outs? I think it's good that you said that there's 13 um, practices that have joined, um, but what you see the long-term future for that business being, and um, if there's a risk that you potentially subsume the IT services segment within the platform segment over time, given um, you know, the losses there are, are sort of being relatively consistent now. Okay, two answers for that. Um, Absolutely, with the licensee segment, it remains a strategic asset to us, but it isn't material to our bottom line, as you know, Nick. Um, the, uh, all licensees have been hit in the last 12 months with PI insurance premiums and asset levy increases. We certainly have been trying to grow that business, um, but we're obviously always looking at opportunities um, about the future of that business um, and, and how that fits into the group. Right now, it's building value for us. Some of the prototyping we're doing for a group of five licensees is being born out of Paragem. It's absolutely yielding value and results and advocacy for those relationships with the Hub24 platform. So whilst the business in its own, uh, with its own bottom line, is negligible, um, I would, uh, it's absolutely adding strategic value to business. However, we're open to uh, the future of that and how we work with that business as we are with any of our segments. Um, so at the moment, um, uh, it's delivering strategic value for us. I think you'll see that the bottom line will improve over time, uh, and certainly that's a hope. We're in the middle of doing some repricing for advisors and building additional services, and we're committed to growing it at this point in time. In terms of the technology services business, uh, uh, you'll notice that the second half loss is far less than the first half loss uh, and we're absolutely starting to sharpen the focus there. We have distracted that business to uh, build functionality and features for the Hub24 platform. For example, uh, we uh, use the resources in that business to entirely rebuild the data feeds for Xplan. Uh, which is the largest uh, client portal in the marketplace for advisors. So we've refreshed all those things and we've actually leveraged the skills across our group for the best strategic outcome for the business. Uh, Nathan Jacobson is now heading up that business. We've absolutely got some new product ideas. We're absolutely in market now pushing those and the marketing of Hub Connect as a data platform when it's not used in adjunct with the uh, custodial platform is sitting in that business as well moving forward. So. I think you'll see um, uh, that business uh, improve in terms of profitability. Uh, we have no plans at this stage to merge it in with the platform business. We just want to work close up with the platform business in terms of offering extra products and services to other providers and to licensees in the marketplace uh, so that the two business segments together uh, generate uh, cross-references and better results for each other. Thanks for the answer. Um, in terms of the OPEX within the platform segment, it was up um, reasonably over the period, but then obviously when you add back the rental expense to FY20, it was an even bigger growth number, which um, maybe was surprising given COVID. Can you talk about how you recruited for the team um, over the second half of FY20 and what the outlook 
um, for OPEX will be given given the sort of um, seemingly the, the recruitment that you've already achieved in FY20. Sure. Debbie, do you want to go first on that one? Yeah, look, um, I think you're right, Nick, in the sense of um, the vast majority of the recruitment did happen in the first half. Um, and so, therefore, in essence, the second half um, is, if you multiply that with two, is pretty reflective of where you can expect your OPEX costs going in the next year. So, um, we have um, done the majority of the recruitment that we wanted for the business. Um, and I think, as we've mentioned previously, um, whilst we will invest for growth, we are looking to constrain costs, including FTE, going forward. Um, to add to that, obviously, we always try to get the balance right for investing to make sure we can actually um, deliver the growth because you don't want to be caught short and unable to deliver. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we've been investing and then uh, impacted by COVID in terms of the revenue impacts there. But also in the OPEX, there is some COVID costs there. There's some costs for uh, setting up people to work from home, software licenses and cyber security costs, increased uh, insurance premiums, the insurance market is uh, um, doing that across the board, um, and some um, additional work in terms of our product development and um, other compliance initiatives. So all sensible investments uh, and the growth there are absolutely designed to uh, support the business moving forward. And you'll see that leverage next year. We don't expect to have that level of cost growth next year, subject to we absolutely will invest in pursuing new opportunities as they arise. And one, one last one for me, and I'll stop hogging the call. Um, just in terms of uh, the start to the year seems really strong. If we assume that the you know, markets are up 5% in the normal correlation to that, it implies that you're sort of running at a um, a 400 mil a month inflow rate, which is, I guess, similar to last September quarter. Um, is there anything I'm missing in, in that analysis that um, would lead to a different uh, assumption? Um, if you average it out, I think that analysis is robust. Um, mm. uh, um, I, I think that's a sensible analysis. If you've looked at market movement and correlation and then said, therefore, your flow is that, that's a sensible number. Great. All right. I'll get off the call, and uh, thanks for taking the questions. Thank you, Nick. Our next question will come from Simon Fitzgerald with Evans & Partners. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, just my first question is a little bit more of a broader question on costs. You've talked about cost restraint in FO. But I'm more interested to know in terms of beyond that point, um, do you feel that you have the cost base and expense base to match the sort of 28 to 32 target? of FUA in FY23. Um, maybe you could sort of talk to whether you feel that the current employee base can deal with such growth. I mean, um, Debbie just mentioned a moment ago that you've done the majority of the recruitment in the business, but interested in your comments there. Um, look, from my perspective, uh, yes, however, we do have variable cost growth or direct cost growth in terms of mm -hmm. customer service personnel when those things happen, so that'll be factored in. But in terms of investing in heavy hitters or executives and so forth, with our current strategy and our current initiatives, uh, I don't see much of a lift there, hence Debbie's comments. But there is some variable growth based on number of customers and people to answer phone calls and so forth. Um, having said that, we're absolutely working on increasing those efficiencies, and every year those ratios, ratios come down. Um, we've got initiatives underway that um, we think will allow us to grow the business and avoid hiring 
five to eight people in our operations service centre this year. So we're, we're, we're certainly banking on leveraging some of the investments we've made in terms of electronic account opening and things like that. So I think it's safe to say that's an appropriate um, comment, Simon, um, with the caveat that if it looks like we can exceed that target, uh, that may change. Sure, sure. That's helpful. Um, second question just relates to the share-based incentive schemes. Um, I'm just interested to know whether the additional costs were taken on a pro-rata basis or should we expect that, that to increase again in 21 as we get closer to that FY22 vesting? And maybe you could just remind us in terms of the FUA targets why they were set you know, against, sorry, whether why they were set against FUA targets rather than, say, revenue or indeed, you know, ROE or EPS. Uh, Andrew, maybe I'd answer that and then pass to you. Um, so the special LTI, um, because it's the first time that we recognised it, but it commenced in 2018, we have had a, a one-off pickup this year. Okay. Um, that being said, it will have um, some further vesting through the courses the next couple of years. So um, it certainly won't be the magnitude that you're seeing in this year's results. So you can see that as being one-off rather than run rate. Um, with regard to why FUA, um, you'll see if you look at our other schemes, whether they be the um, rights or the options, um, most of them are correlated to FUA as well as um, ATSR, and that's largely um, to incentivise our staff to, to grow our business. I'll now pass over to Andrew. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. Simon, we have, a, we have our... Uh, sort of usual LTI scheme that does target both growth and uh, shareholder return being uh, ATSR. Um, yeah. And uh, this particular scheme was set four years out um, uh, or set for a four-year period and it was really about uh, having executives and uh, there's about 15 to 20 people in the business agree to forego salary increases um, to... Um, uh, help with cash flow on the bottom line at the same time as to provide incentive for growth. That's why it was a fewer target and it was it was a target on its own because it was an additional scheme to the usual scheme that does also target shareholder return. Okay, that's helpful. Just one final question from me then. Um, no doubt the disruptions around COVID-19 have resulted in some advisors, say, pushing back decisions about platforms. I'm interested to know whether you've seen things change at the moment, whether, say, some transitions have, have kick-started again and whether discussions have been reignited post sort of, you know, things settling down a bit. I, I think it's situational. I absolutely think in our marketplace that we're seeing activity. I think the advisor productivity hit that we saw in April was largely because advisors had to scramble and work on their own disaster recovery or business continuity plans as well as look after clients and rebalance. So, of course, they were going to not be writing or moving business as much as, as looking after existing clients. I think the industry in general, though, if you're running a good advice business and you're future thinking, and that might be a proxy for you're already using or thinking of using a specialist platform because you're thinking about those components, you're not sitting in the old world, um, You've done a good job at conditioning your clients to these kind of events. We've seen in the GFC and 9-11 and certain other events that um, uh, clients and advisors uh, have had rocky roads. I think the, the profession has matured and you've certainly got 
customers used to these kind of events and understanding they invest for the long term. And so there's less panic and far more certainty there and hence we are seeing advisors still continue to move. As I said, they're moving licensees, they're moving transitions and we're still talking about opportunities. So I've not seen in our business a large amount of let's down tools um, uh, at all. We've seen activity and, and the green shoots of ongoing activity continually. I think there might be a productivity gap in terms of advisors still rebalancing existing clients, but they are all thinking about moving forward. Their reasons for change and their reasons for selecting a platform, which are underpinned by legal obligations, remain. And so when you've got other participants in the marketplace unclear on their strategy and not investing in the future, and others investing in the future, there's really a driver to look after your clients and keep moving. So. So in our marketplace, we're seeing activity. Thank you for taking my questions. No problem. The next question will come from Siraj Ahmed with City. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, Andrew and Debbie, just have a few questions. Um, just starting off with the FY21 flow outlook. I mean, you've, you've given FY22 for targets, but uh, should we assume that the previous FY21 targets still hold, or is there some delay to it? Uh, we're updating our guidance, Siraj. Um, so we're setting, uh, we're now targeting for FY22. Um, FY21. Um, look, I think we, we, you know, uh, barring any any other impacts, I still think we'd fit inside that guidance. But we are actually updating to the future statement for FY22. Okay, and and Andrew, just on that, can you just give us an update on the Clearview transition? I think there was a bit of delay when you read the fourth quarter update, but just what your sure. expectations are. Uh, we're still working uh, with Clearview, and Clearview is still working with their current provider being Colonial. I think the project plans are starting to form up. Um, so I think our announcement was that we, and our PAC, sorry, our PAC certainly says it'll be FY21. That's still our uh, our goal. We'd like to bring it in as fast as possible. We're relying on third parties. But progress is being made, Saraj. So at this point in time, I still see it happening in FY21. Uh, and we're talking about a transition of roughly uh, $1.3 billion. Okay. Um, and just uh, looking at FY22, Andrew, your, the FY22 target, um, I'm not, if I remember right, your LTI, which is set last year, was in the range, right, 28 to $32 billion, um, or the 100% vesting. Um, would have thought that if your outlook is a bit better now, given the clear view, you want clear view, and, you know, grandfather commercials coming to an end. So just keen to understand how you think about it. Is this conservatism or is it something, or is it just COVID? Uh, look, we'd, we'd absolutely like to exceed that. And if we, it looks like we will, we'll update the market on it, Siraj. I think we're, we're looking in the middle of, of uh, an economic scenario and we're looking in the middle of, of COVID-19 that we're, we're trying to be realistic and prudent, but not dampening our aspirations. So uh, I think it's the context in which the statement's being made um, that's important to understand. Right. Uh, and I think most companies and boards are being careful with guidance, and rightly so. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, just a couple of things, uh, a couple, two more questions. Uh, just on admin fees, um, if you look at second half 20, there's a bit of a step down compared to first half 20. Um, is, that, is that now leveled out, or how should we think about it into 21? 
in, in terms of um, the admin fees on the platform, they're affected by a couple of things, but uh, typically affected by higher balances. So as we get higher balances, it is a tiered rate card, so you will see that flow through in percentage terms, but in dollar terms, the revenue per account is increasing, did increase in FY20. The revenue per account increased and the cost per account decreased. So it depends on the mix of business, Suraj. Uh, we haven't done any wholesale repricing. We did make tweaks to our pricing uh, um, over 12 months ago in terms of aligning with where the market was at with the way GST was treated and a few other things. Um, that might have some impact around the edges, but it actually uh, is better margin for some clients moving forward as well. So it depends on the business mix. It's not driven by competitive pressure. It's driven by the business mix, by how much fuel we transition, tiered rate cards, uh, and in some cases it's driven by large opportunities with large groups afford us a um, afford that client a, a better rate card, but typically we will have lower cost profile and so the same um, profit margins coming through. That, that helps. Uh, and just lastly, I think, I mean, you sort of seem to be talking about acquisitions or just new opportunities that you're actively in the market. Can you just give some further color on that? And you know, are these bolt-ons or how, bolt-on acquisitions or how, how should we... Oh, look, I'd like to talk about how we approach them. Clearly, I can't disclose anything, um, uh, uh, but... I, but, but and look, we've said this before, we're always looking and we're always active to what's going in the marketplace. I mean, even our opening statement is we're looking to create our outcomes for clients and if we can do that through either building new service propositions or bolting on businesses or consolidation, we'll certainly look at that. It has to be appropriate for our business. So um, there is a lot of change going on in the marketplace. There's a lot of opportunities being thrown up. Uh, we're seeing um, consolidation in the small end. Uh, we're seeing distraction and in the large end, and we're seeing a whole lot of things happening through COVID and economic impacts where there may be opportunities for us to uh, bolt on technology or product additions or even to look at, at, at other types of acquisitions. So I'm not just referring to acquisitions. We're also referring to how do we grow and what opportunities are there for us to diversify or add on different services in the business. Um, so, of course, though, we look at that appropriately. Uh, we don't want to get distracted from the opportunity in front of us. We absolutely think the opportunity in front of us remains unprecedented, even in the COVID scenario. It's a delight to be talking about how we've performed in uh, this particular uh, market, time in the market. And, you know, we're very, very bullish and excited about the future. Um, so we'll look at those um, uh, appropriately and we'll talk to the market if and when we do look at changing either our strategy or, or enhancing our value proposition or potentially acquiring something. Sure. And Ren, just clarifying, I mean, previously you mentioned um, that you wouldn't be looking at other platforms. It'll be more tech or new services. Just confirming that's still the view or um, will you look at smaller platforms or something? So, Raj, I, I think it's up to us to look after our shareholders and look at all sorts of opportunities in the marketplace. It's not that we haven't looked at other platforms in the past. Um, we certainly have, and that's been well played out in the press. But our view has to be that it has to be earnings accretive and not distractive to what we're doing. So uh, sensible opportunities, um, Hub24 is absolutely committed to getting the best outcomes for customers and shareholders. If there's a sensible opportunity uh, across those spectrums, that's something we'd consider as well. All right. Really helpful. Thanks, Andrew. Our next question will come from Matt Johnston with Macquarie. Please go ahead. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Debbie. Um, maybe just a quick one first up, probably for you, Debbie, around 
the 300k third-party claim in the provision line. Can you um, say what that's relating to? Uh, so when we are uh, in our platform business um, processing uh, different client transactions, etc., time to time there will be um, third-party claims that are made. Um, you can imagine in a COVID environment with high transaction volumes, um, that uh, the propensity of that to occur in a COVID environment is higher. Um, that being said, our long-term trend has been very low. Um, so uh, I think the way to look at it, Matt, is that um, uh, we've been conservative here, recognising that these claims often will occur but may not um, eventuate until after year-end. Um, it's broken up between specific um, and general. Um, but our long-term experience and our overall experience through COVID has been very, very strong. Okay. And as a follow-up to that, given the volatility and as the business grows, do you feel that Hub will need to invest in, I guess, process or trading, given that it probably gives you a good look at what the future trading might look, might look like? Um, uh, the way that I really look at it, Matt, is to see how um, the performance of the ops team and the client service team has been through COVID when we look at, you know, the March-April period when the volumes were, you know, 300% above what we normally have. Um, I think the call-outs were that a lot of the automation that we'd already done absolutely came to the fore. Um, the relationships we have meant that the communication was really strong um, and we came through it um, relatively unscathed at all and in actual fact we maintained our service standards all the way through. So I think this is um, of course something that you always want to keep an eye on and you continue to um, want to get straight through processing um, wherever you can um, but to date, um, it's been a very good performance. Matt, it's Andrew here. We, we progressively think about these things, so whether it be trading or any other key processes, we're continually looking at our processes, and we've had to, to grow with such good results and such good customer advocacy um, over the last few years. So we progressively look at all of the key processes in the business and fine-tune them on an ongoing basis. Um, we, as testament to us, we had trading volumes off the charts and we still delivered them in time within service standards with people working from their homes. So there's no need to have a radical shift in our approach or to change the way we think about uh, investment administration. It's just an ongoing part of our DNA that we keep looking at improvement. Okay, great. And then maybe just a quick comment on the difference between the MIS structure and the IDPS structure from, I guess, an operational um, perspective? Oh, sure. From an operational perspective, um, there's really no change for customers or advisors. It's a disclosure document change. So there's no change to our business processes. Um, generally speaking, it's a disclosure change. There's a wrapper being put around the portfolios that then allows you to include in those portfolios things like other unlisted or wholesale investments because you've got a RE in an MIS scheme. It allows us to look at some of the future development we're doing. So, so really it's about disclosure documents. Um, there's operational changes in how we account for this for back-end accounting and, and scheme property and so forth. But from a client or an advice perspective, there, um, there really is no change.
Okay, and the final one for me, just with the change to equity trustees, can you comment on any capital requirements or any differences in the fees versus diversa? Sure. Um, look, the fees are pretty much line ball. There might be some uh, benefits there as we grow that we didn't have with Diversa, but they're pretty much line ball. Um, the capital requirements are, as per our accounts, we do have a, or let's call it statutory capital, but there's an operating risk financial reserve that APRO requires for all superannuation funds. We do fund part of that, and the super fund itself and the members also fund part of that, um, depending on... Uh, provisions and so forth. So there is a requirement there to fund that uh, and hence um, you'll see uh, loans disclosed in our accounts for that. There was uh, a loan to Diversa that was repaid and now there's a loan from us to EQT to fund that and we will continue to have to fund that as we move forward. Okay, and just on that, is it the same amount between the two? In terms of the funding? Yes. Well, it's a statutory amount of 25 basis points, so it's a legal requirement. So it'll be at the same ratio and the same amount. Had we stayed with diversity, the outcome would be exactly the same as going to EQT. It's the reserve that's held um, by the trustee or in the fund in case there's some sort of issue where uh, members need to be made whole. We've never had a, a claim or a use of the reserve. Uh, um, it's um it's just there to protect members. It's the same rate regardless of trustee. Okay, that's helpful. That's it for me. Okay, thank you. Our next question will come from James Cordukes with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Uh, just a quick one on on the LTIs and I guess more broadly uh, remuneration. Uh, so the, the the special LTI grants. Uh, that related to those 15 employees, um, you also say that you know that was to cap uh, fixed rem for the three years to September 2020. So just interested in what's happening after that, and whether you know those staff will either see kind of step ups or, or whether um, we'll see another special LTI. And I guess that you could wrap that into a, a comment. I understand there was a, a broader remuneration review as, as well that kind of went on um, based on the, the you know the annual account, sorry the annual report notes. Um, so you know, just what's going to happen to, to you know, sure. post, post um, September 2020. I've talked about our remuneration principles, um, and obviously, as a company, we need to um, secure, retain, and develop talent in the marketplace in our business, and in, absolutely in terms of the growth profile we've got. We do have a remuneration process that's annual. Those those employees have not been excluded from that process this uh, cycle. Um, having said that, holistically, we've used a similar percentage increase that we do across the business each year. So any lift for individuals in that mix will be based on market salary rates. We do do market reviews. We look at um, ranges. So if, if there is an increase, and yes, some of those people will have increases, um, it's within the means of the business and it's normal spend on remuneration reviews across the board for the business and our budget. So. Um, we have an annual review process and the percentage we allocate to staff has not changed uh, for FY21 as has for FY20, so we're certainly living with our means and making it work. All right, thank you very much. And just a, a quick one, I mean, CapEx, uh, you know, actually declined year on year for the for the whole business um, in FY20. I mean, should we, should we take that as kind of a, 
we've reached the peak in, 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 in CapEx kind of going forward? Debbie or? Would you like me to answer that? Um, yep. Look, I, um, James, we have got, um, you know, a, a young platform which we continue to invest and grow and constantly there are new products and new requirements which would look for us to, to constantly be wanting to drive innovation across that platform. So um, uh, whilst obviously we um, have to be of liquidity and costs, um, we'll continue to invest in the platform as we see um, the right opportunities and the right innovation to, to keep that market leading position that we hold. All right, thank you very much, James. If we if we do um, change strategy or want to invest differently, we'll let the market know. Um, but we, we do have an ongoing uh, um, investment program. Okay. All right. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I will now ha hand back the call to Mr. Alcock for any closing remarks. Thank you, everyone. Um, uh, look, in summary, FY20 we think has been a, an amazing result for our business, certainly given the environment in which we've operated in in the second half. To have uh, a business of this size punching above its weight, exceeding service standards, getting accolades from clients through turbulent economic times and still growing profits and still growing our FUA, um, we're very proud of that. Um, the outlook is positive from our perspective. Yes, we've given statements about guidance. We always aspire to do the very best for our business. And some of our answers to questions today are based on where we are today. But, it, you know, as opportunities arise, we'll let you know. We're absolutely looking at different opportunities all the time, uh, and we're very confident of our future. So thank you again um, for your attendance. Um, we're very proud to be paying a fully frank dividend for the first time for Hub24 moving forward. And I look forward to uh, meeting with you guys or some of you uh, virtually with Debbie as we do investor rounds over the next few weeks. Thanks very much. That concludes our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.